The following is from recorded lectures by Harvard professor Leith Sharp. 4.5 billion years ago, the Earth was born. Somewhere around 700 million years later, life on Earth begins. Earth is the only known living planet, sustained by a delicate balance. The sun melting our Antarctic ice caps into the ocean, creating brine which sinks below the surface and starts a heartbeat current that takes 1,000 years to return back to its source. The temperature shift between these moving waters and the atmosphere generates lightning. Five times hotter than the surface of the sun, but no thicker than your thumb, which splits the molecules in the air and creates nitrogen, an essential element of every living cell on the planet. It's a perfect balance, a series of amazing coincidences supporting each other. And then human beings came along, and we're not that. To put this in perspective, let's take the 3.8 billion years between Earth's first signs of life and the time of this recording, December 2021, and convert that figure into a 365-day solar year. Here's what a one-year scale of planet Earth's history would look like. January 1st, Earth's first proof of existence. February 25th, first signs of life on this planet. March 28th, first recorded photosynthesis. August 16th, our first multicellular organisms make an appearance. September 17th, first sexual reproduction on Earth. Hallelujah. November, fungi makes its first mark, followed by fish, plants, and insects by November 24th. December 2nd, the first amphibians. December 6th, reptiles. December 13th, mammals. December 18th, birds. It's not until December 20th that we see our first flowers. And by December 25th, the dinosaurs are no more. And on New Year's Eve at 11.36 p.m., we have our first proof of Homo sapiens. At 11.59 p.m., we start practicing agriculture. And at 11.59 and 58 seconds, the Industrial Revolution. We've been here literally 23 minutes, and we're already fucking it up. Yeah, dude. We're all fucked. Welcome back to the We Are All Fucked podcast. Woo! Sorry we've been gone for a while. Tages is actually a seahorse and had a baby last week. I did. <laughs> In all seriousness... He we... did not have a baby. No, he didn't. Yeah, but, but I seahorse... did. I have a little seahorsey baby. It's like <laughs> yeah. in my glass right now. It's so cute. Do you guys want to see it? Yes. In all seriousness, we've all had some amazing life developments. Mike just finished acting in a sci-fi movie called Paradelia. Mm -hmm. Woohoo! Mm -hmm. Tejas moved to Colorado to lead an engineering team and bought a Tesla. Which he can't even drive. Yeah, I can't drive that Tesla. <laughs> How do you I might get a uh, driver's license, I think. Are you going to um, do a school or are you going to go to a, a friend or something? People like me should definitely go to driving schools. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so there's a lot going on with Mike and Tages, but I have no updates other than that I'm a neurotic wretch and there isn't enough Xanax in the world. Please remember mm. to follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your pods. And if you could leave us a quick review or even a measly five-star rating, Tages will personally come to your house and have your son. Because again, he's a seahorse and they are non-binary. He will. I also have had a lot of practice having sons, so. 
<laughs> I'm your guy. <laughs> you know, uh, Tejas's wife once was yelling at me because she was like, why are you always sexualizing my husband and making him bang everyone? <laughs> <laughs> and it's because he's beautiful. That's why. If oh you want to have God. a son with someone, it's going to be him. Not Tall us. drink of water. Yeah, for real. This is not going to make her happy <laughs> at all. So, something to discuss real quick. This isn't quite on the topic of the episode, but it is on brand for being fucked uh, as a planet. Uh, There are currently 12 inches of snow in Hawaii, and there is no snow in Denver, Colorado for 225 days. The longest period without snow in the history of Denver. Mm. Yeah, it's wild. Uh, I actually read that the 12 inches are in the high peaks in Hawaii. But it's still very, very non-probable. And it's just such a bizarre world we live in. We're in line for a lot more of that. I was reading the other day, it was a peer-reviewed article. It was talking about how the West could be completely snow-free in 35 to 50 years, including all the high peaks. That's wild, right? Wow. I hope that's not true. And these, these scientists are all wrong. I really hope I hope, hope so. all the scientists are wrong, too. <laughs> Especially Tages. This episode is about sustainability. It's everywhere. It's confusing. Everyone talks about it. No one knows what it is. Like Bitcoin. Yeah, is Bitcoin sustainable? No, I don't think so. That's not good. Or weed. Sorry, dude. Don't get mad. But weed <laughs> actually consumes a lot of energy. Really? It's not sustainable at all. It kills a lot of my energy, I know that. But it's hydroponic. <laughs> For per pound of weed grown, I, I don't know the exact number, but like it runs in thousands of kilograms of carbon dioxide emissions. Per pound? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So per wow. one pound of weed, you probably burn like 1,000 pounds of carbon dioxide or even more. And what's the nacho consumption per pound of weed? Like a lot more, right? <laughs> this is the first time I heard a climate change fact, and I just want to like sweep it under the rug like a politician or something. Yeah, yeah. Why, that's not, not yeah, real. Don't man. worry about that. Yeah. Well, I'm yeah, going to let's, let's that. All, let us all agree <laughs> that we are not going to look into that. Cool. Agreed. Yeah. But wheat can be sustainable. The stock of a wheat plant is actually hemp. So it's very, very useful. So if you make hemp bag, sustainable hemp products, you know, yeah. There is a massive market for that. And then you can capture more carbon, you know, out of the equation. Mm-hmm. So if you think about it in that way, there is like all this brown gold just growing for you that you throw away. Wasn't that your you nickname know? in high school? <laughs> <laughs> brown gold. It- no, I was, I was, I was uh, too tall brown boy. <laughs> too tall brown boy. The concept of sustainable development or sustainability was described by the 1987 Brundtland Commission report as development that meets the needs of the present without compromising the ability of future generations to meet their own needs. This report explored the causes of environmental degradation, attempted to understand the interconnections between social equity, economic growth, and environmental problems, and developed policy solutions that integrated all three areas. So, to kick us off, here's a quote from Janine Benyus. Life's been on Earth for 3.8 billion years. And in that time, life has learned what works and and what's appropriate here and what lasts here. And the idea is that um, perhaps we should be looking at these mentors, at these biological elders. They have figured out how to create a sustainable world. 
Janine is basically saying, like, the Earth is taking care of itself. Like, it knows how to keep itself alive. It's a circular system where where everything kind of feeds into like the something bee else. pollinating the flower or whatever. And yeah, a spreading. closed-loop system. Yeah, closed-loop system. Here's a scary fact. We're going to reach the carrying capacity of the Earth. It's somewhere around 11 billion people. Here's a quote from Allegra D'Angelo, our guest today, about population. The issue isn't the number of people. We are not the most populous species on Earth. It's cyanobacteria. Not by a long shot. Not even the largest by mass. It's krill. The problem is we are not living generously within our ecosystem. We are living linearly. I'm really surprised that there's more, if you were to, you know, weigh all people and weigh all krill, that there would be more weight of krill. I really hope the krill don't hear this. Because then they'll know. They'll come for us. They have us. (laughs) Yeah. Krill don't have, when krill die, everything that they like consume dies with them. When we die, we leave such a massive trail behind. Our impact, uh, all the dead people, their impact, we still have to like deal with. When krill die, the other krill don't have to deal with their impact. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Krill are emotionally barren. They feel nothing when their fellows die. Yeah. We feel I think that's how we need to be, like emotionally barren about this topic, you know. I had a cab driver one time who we, we passed by this giant cemetery in Queens and he was like, look at that. Look at all that wasted land. All that. It is. What a huge waste. For all. And I was like, damn, that's they're just disrespecting all these dead people right now. But it really stuck in my head and I started thinking about it. I'm like, it's so stupid to do that. Ben gets a lot of lessons from cab drivers and I'm trying to figure out slowly if it's actually a fugue state and none of it is even real. <laughs> <laughs> he's just sort of imagining it all. <laughs> I think he's just imagining it. He just sits in his room and he's like, oh yeah. And his eyes are rolling driver. back in his head. <laughs> yeah. uh, since we are on the topic of dead people, even in death, we are a disease. Because when dead, when like people are put in coffins and you put them in a the ground, first of all, that landmass is gone, just yeah. like the cab driver said. Is this yeah. an okay, Agent so Smith rejected monologue or something? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's it's our disease. It's it's, it's uh, verging on evil. <laughs> verging. FYI. <yeah>. FYI, <laughs> Tejas. <laughs> but what I'm else? Just, what else? So so it takes uh, up the I'm, land, and then what? The coffin that they make is super ornate, made out of wood which Mm. is probably unsustainable then it's painted coated in a shiny gloss paint and then it has some kind of a metal ring on it and things like that all of this fucking shit goes in the ground what do you think happens to that fucking paint it fucking goes in our soil Mm. it like like uh, all the my plastic dissociates into microplastic you know plus why do they have to put those like uh big white cushions in the coffin like it's a fucking 50s cadillac or something like what do they have to be comfy in there i mean it's the illusion of the comfort of your dead but well plus it adds a nice amount of tension to the funeral like it could be a little slow you know but once you see these six guys holding up this big fancy thing with all the cushions in it and stuff it's like oh i really hope they don't drop that It's expensive, that coffin. <laughs> yeah, you know if you've ever been to like a Jewish wedding or something and they do the thing where they lift them up on the chairs? Mm-hmm. It reminds me of that. It's like, what would you rather drop if you had the choice? A coffin at a funeral or the bride while you're doing the fucking chair? Thing? <laughs> what would be a bigger problem? <laughs> They're both very uh, bad. That was so it's... fun doing it that at your wedding, holding the chair. Yeah. That was really, really yeah, fun. It, it really depends on the the people who are holding the chair with you when you're in that moment you're looking around at everybody and you see like your really scrawny cousin or something you're like oh fuck this is not gonna go well <laughs> let's get on topic guys stop talking about judaism 
Based on how many people live on Earth, there is a finite number of resources that are safe to use per year, and we use them faster and faster every year. Populations grow exponentially, so we are going to run out of resources exponentially fast. There's an organization called overshootday.org where they list uh, how many resources we're, we can safely use and how many resources we're using on the planet. So it, through that website, in 1970, we were using 100% of the Earth's resources per year by December. By 2021, 51 years later, we're using 170% of the Earth's resources by July. Imagine all the rollover, and then with population increase, you have compound interest. Lots of lots of uh, things that it's not very intuitive for people to understand. Exponential growth, compound interest, you know. Yeah. Uh, it yeah. does not, like, just add. It, it almost multiplies, and then it multiplies bigger. And, by, and there is always a cap on any kind of exponential growth. You go into something called a runaway effect. And mm -hmm. once you cross that threshold, the exponential growth is too high for it to come back down, especially in resource systems. And have we crossed that? Oh, we've crossed that big time. We've <laughs> crossed that. We are fucking, fucking multiplying like animals. We yes. are consuming worse than we ever have. Everybody wants to live in a massive home, have 3,000 things, you know, 17 cars uh, and and. Black Friday, Yellow Monday, everything is like, there is a Black Friday before two Fridays. These, uh, Like I was looking at Amazon the other day. Mm -hmm. yeah. We already had the Black Friday deal before, way before Black Friday. Oh, so yeah, I noticed that too. Half Friday. of that stuff yeah. is actually scam-based. Yeah, too. they just like, mark it up. So we, we have way surpassed our resource consumption and we are not slowing down. If anything, our resource consumption keeps going up and up and up. Yeah, yeah the so first scary. thing they say on like the overshoot day.org site is like listen we know this is really overwhelming so <laughs> yeah it's like the first thing they say because it really is it's like fasten oh, your seat yeah. belts fasten yeah. your seat belts because your grandparents actually fucked this up and now you yep. are really fucked yeah so just so you know anyway, yeah like have a good day. 1970 was our cutoff target in my head from all the data i read 1970s we should have stopped most of oil production everything should have been renewable and then maybe, just maybe, we might have had a chance to completely achieve sustainable civilization and we could have grown into a type 2 civilization. We're not going to be only stuck as a type 1 civilization, but I think we're going to go What's below. the type 1 versus type 2? In astrobiology, they classify like these hypothetical civilizations as type 1, type 2, and type 3. We are mm -hmm. not even type one. We are like way below. But if we can sustainably consume all of our resources from the planet as we grow, that's type one. Eventually, there comes a point where you have grown too much and there are not enough resources on the planet, you know. So you have to start mining other other planets, other planets and other bodies in the solar system. So, for example, we would move to Mars and then we would multiply on Mars. And then you uh, could like find a mode. cheese plant and get all your cheese from that planet and find like a hardware <laughs> store plant and get all your yeah, screws right, right, and stuff right. from that planet. Right. Is that it? <laughs> That's basically what it is. Yeah. The goal of humanity should be to have your offspring live the next 10,000 generations, mm, you know, right. not live the next generation. 
10,000 generations is a good marker for a species. That's when you can actually expand enough that you can contact other civilizations. In my head, that's our goal as a human species, you know, to gain knowledge, to grow and to become a better species. Maybe maybe we need to mess with our perception of growth because like every corporation to to see if you're doing well, if your corporation is healthy, it means it's constantly growing. If the economy is healthy, it's constantly growing. It's constantly making more money. But that has issues because then that leads us to the type two and the type three, whereas maybe we should think of growth as more like how to use what we have better and how to have more fulfillment with what we have. True, I agree. For us to even like have conversations about being a type one civilization, we have to completely absolve the concept of money. The concept of money needs to be fully like taken out of the equation because Money is the worst thing designed by human beings or created by human beings. And it's not even real, you know. But then how do you money feel is... like a big man at a strip club if you don't have a bunch of money? If like, you can't make it rain. Yeah. What are you supposed yeah. to do? Just clap? They call me Hurricane Ban. You're like, what about a poem? Can I write you a poem? <laughs> so back to the growth thing. I want to talk also about consumerism. So I'm looking right now at the definition of consumerism. It's the preoccupation of society with the acquisition of consumer goods. But even deeper than that, like con to consume means like to, you know, to eat, to take it. But it, it's kind of linked with not just like eating a whole thing like an animal eats another animal. It's like kind of taking something and then just throwing away a bunch of other stuff. We have this beautiful, pristine packaging on everything we get, and that makes us feel good. That's like a consumer good. And we're like, this is well packaged. This is this is ready for me to consume. But then what's going to happen after you consume and just throw that shit away? I like to use the word gluttony. It's it's almost gluttonous, what we do, including me. I, uh, that, gluttony I, is like, the American I, way. It's nice to I feel guess. American, though. Like when I'm eating peanut butter off my fingers at two in the morning, I'm always humming the national anthem while I do it. Like, <laughs> 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 yeah, I was literally working on this podcast at 3 a.m. last night, and I ordered two Domino's pizzas, and I consumed uh, about 80% of the, both of them. Domino's <laughs> might be sustainable. Is it not? I mean, can you imagine how many pizza boxes have been sitting in the landfill from the existence of dominoes so human beings are not sustainable but they do make efforts to uh to be sustainable at times in florida in the 70s they tried to make artificial reefs so they dumped two million tires into the water there off the coast of florida and today they've realized that they're never going to become reefs so they're slowly pulling them out um, but there's still 700,000 tires off the coast of Florida, and they haven't picked up any marine life at all. Maybe they, they could have cleaned their water before pumping it in and stopped oil spills instead of putting, like, you know, tires in there. The, re the fish might have just returned like that. Yeah, but the reason that we were dumping all them tires in the water is to try to be sustainable, like the earth is like use something that we're creating and reintroduce it to the earth and have it you know create life again it was an attempt it seems it seems yeah it definitely it was a poor heart was in the right place i mean we're from florida come on it, it, that's pretty good for florida yeah like we got a yeah. million or two million tires should we throw them in the ocean how many monster trucks carried those <laughs> tires to the ocean <laughs> jumped through flaming hoops <laughs> people don't always screw it up when they when they try to fix things on the planet because we had the hole in the ozone layer from our use of CFC chemicals, aerosols. And uh, in the Montreal Protocol, 
worldwide, companies agreed to stop using them, and that hole in the ozone layer was repaired. So that would have killed us. It's funny because yeah. like that shit was real, man. Like if that hole like kept growing bigger and bigger, we would have all died. Let's talk about the United Nations Sustainability Goals. It's uh, the Department of Economic and Social Affairs Sustainable Development Project. They have 17 goals. The first one is no poverty. The second Mm. one is zero hunger. The Mm. third is good health and well-being. The fourth is quality education. The fifth is gender equality. The sixth is clean water and sanitation. The seventh is affordable and clean energy. The eighth is decent work and economic growth. The ninth, industry, innovation, and infrastructure. 10. Reduced inequalities. Didn't we already get that one? They just want to yeah. throw it in there again because it's more sustainable that way. <laughs> mention it twice. It's like if we do it twice, maybe it'll be unequal. They're like, are we sounding racist? Just say something about equality. <laughs> 11. Sustainable cities and communities. 12. Responsible consumption and production. 13. Climate action. That's number 13. Wow. 14. Life below water. 15. Life on land. 16, peace, justice, and strong institutions, and 17, partnerships for the goals. Okay, they just got lazy. They ran out of ideas. Yeah. That's why they they have 17. That could have been six. Yeah. It really could have. Somebody was running that meeting a little too liberally. Yeah, I love how you're right. Like, whoever was running the whiteboard on that meeting or whatever, she's like, I'm pretty sure we have equality. Okay, I'll just write it again. Yep. Yep. Okay. I'm a doormat. This is... This is this is the problem I have. Their priorities are not set straight. People all think, oh, we are doing so great. Let's do this. Yeah, this is amazing. I'm making a change in the world. No, you're not. The world is fucking burning and you're focused on the wrong problem. You know, I I am the first one for equality, but there is no equality if there is there is climate change. You, Who do you think of, gets affected the most with climate change? Do you think rich like privileged people are the first ones to go out. No, it's the small, low-lying nations who have no food, water, uh, anyways. They're gonna go down first. What it, do you think it, the when they were coming up with the goals? What do you think they ordered for lunch that day? Something really unsustainable, <laughs> yeah. I bet. Yeah, probably. Yeah. It's probably some like sushi or some. Yeah, like some, we can't yeah. decide Chinese sushi. Let's just get both, and uh, you know, if there's any <laughs> left over, we'll check it out. <laughs> Anyway, what are we on? 16 uh, inequality. Merkel wants a roast. <laughs> How many roasts does Merkel go what through kind of, in a, in I don't know. I don't know what period. kind. Just bring a whole pig. Just any kind of roast meat. Just ship it to Merkel. She's going to get pissed. <laughs> this kind of stuff makes me really, really mad. Like What, us joking the, about Merkel? Listen, it's going to be no, okay. She loves no, fucking roasts. No, about the United... <laughs> No, I was talking about the United Nations. It's just I know, but the, dude, order, the order get, of operations. You can't get mad at someone who's trying to fix stuff unless they're just being no, bureaucratic. I, it's like, well, you didn't fix the right thing. I want you to fix this. I mean, it's something, right? Like at least they're talking about it. Yeah, no, I, think... I agree. That is something. I mean, don't get me wrong. I do like the United Nations. It's the only body in the world that actually cares, you know, and tries at least. But. It's we all run into the same issue. It's like this repetitive cycle again and again. Yeah, people who run these organizations are inept to solve the problems they are facing. You know, it's like me trying to do like a sketch, or me uh, trying to do a setup. Yeah. <laughs> Our guest, who's about to come on, told me that the number one factor for decreasing the amount of accidental pregnancies and and Mm. people who are overburdened in their families, that the number one way to do that is by educating women. 
Mm. Very true. And this has actually worked out very well in India because the more women that were educated, the the lesser children they had. Mm. And education is everything when it comes to empowering women, for sure. Well, I know uh, it seems like Americans are having a lot less babies now. I don't know what that yeah. has to do with anything, but we have like historically low birth rates right now. Yeah, the millennials don't want to have kids as early. Sorry. Smart. Sorry, mom. And the birth mad. rates are just naturally dropping too. Just like it's just become a scientific fact now where they predict by 2040 birth rates are going to drop like it'll be a substantial chunk. You could say that the planet is fighting back. The planet belongs to all of us, all species, and all species compete for like, you know, they evolve to survive on the planet. But the planet also like has to keep balance. So the weaker ones have to die out. That's just evolution. It's not me. That's how it has worked. It has been working like that. And it's been going pretty f- uh, well so far, as since like ever since we came along. But yeah, um, the, the planet actually doesn't need us to do anything. No, the planet no. will be fine. Like you see in the what's uh, in Chernobyl, uh, there's plenty of wolves and happy animals running around over there, and and the the balance is kind of being restored in nature, even though everything's radioactive. Nature right. nature bounces back. The important thing, the reason we need to do all these changes is for us, for our yeah. survival, because yep. we can go away. Because the planet is inherently sustainable, so it can sustain itself no matter what we do right. to it, basically. Yeah. yeah. And the planet has lived on a very long timeline, you know, as we, as we just spoke about it. We've been here for two seconds in the planet's lifetime. It will shrug us off, like the plastic yeah, so- will float, but like It'll be a plastic planet, you know. Evolution would probably come up with something. So it's us. It's This is all about us. This is not about the planet. The planet yeah. will be fine. We are the ones who need to save ourselves from our impending doom. Man, you're really speaking to the megalomaniac in me. It's, like, it's all about me. I knew it. I knew I was right. That's how Mike receives all information. Oh, it's about me. <laughs> uh, I'm listening. Our guest, Allegra D'Angelo, has a liberal arts master's degree in sustainability from Harvard. Ever heard of it? It's a little bit of a big deal. Well, I don't have it yet. Working towards it. Will have. If she passes. Oh, wait. We have to pretend like she's on her. You did. We have to honor her. I keep forgetting because she's a guest. Never mind. She'll pass. She'll be just fine. (laughs) You don't have to treat me special just just because I go to Harvard. I want to read a quote. (laughs) from you from our research together the quote is something is either sustainable or it's not can you expand on that yeah so people talk about sustainability a lot and they tend to speak about it like it's like a spectrum and it's not it's not a spectrum it's either it is able to be sustained or it's not So when people say something is more sustainable or less sustainable, it just means closer or farther from sustainability. And what is not sustainable mean? Besides Ben's mental state, give us some examples of things that aren't sustainable. (laughs) Depends on how much zany I got. I mean, there are very few things that are actually sustainable. The best example of things that are sustainable are natural systems where humans have not gotten involved. Almost anything else is not sustainable. Yeah, is there anything on Earth without humans that is... Not sustainable? I guess maybe like the dinosaurs, do they... The Earth itself is self-sustaining, like even though we're messing everything up. The Earth doesn't need us, and long after we destroy ourselves in a blaze of glory, like the Earth will continue (laughs) 
the earth will continue just like it did after all the dinosaurs died. Like, this earth used to be con- covered in giant fucking lizards. Like, and then they all died. And now here we are, you know. Previous like, tenants. It's going to keep, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's going to keep going long after we're, we're gone. So is, is humanity sustainable? Are there too many of us? Yeah, Thanos, what do you think? <laughs> it's sort of two separate questions because humans do not live sustainably currently. We are biological creatures. We could figure out a way to live in our natural environment the way every single other living creature lives mm-hmm. sustainably. This is the unpopular opinion that there are too many people, and it's because we don't live generously. We live consumptively in this environment we've created for ourselves, which is like a, a linear, you know, we take things out of the ground, we make things for ourselves, and then we throw them away, and we like put that waste essentially into back into the ground. If people were not living that linear waste, like it's called like take, make, waste, based. Uh, that was a lot of rhyming. Um, take, make, take, wait, make, take, waste, based. Take, make, waste. To the face. <laughs> um, <laughs> Lace. Sorry, I'm not good at rhyming. Okay. Yeah. That was close. That was a good try. <laughs> but yeah, if we, if we weren't living that way then the number of people wouldn't be the problem. Like, humans are not the most populous species of animal on this planet, not by a long shot. Um, So the problem is not the number. The problem is the way we live in relation to everything else. Now, you've talked about a scoring system that you're working on. Where I see the future of sustainability is a rating system that companies can use to rate their own products against sustainability mm-hmm. metrics. And this exists, like, you know, a lot of companies rate their products already on, on all these different things. But I think taking that and then using it not only for companies themselves to see where they need to improve, but then also putting this score on a consumer facing level so that people can see not just the areas that companies are working on improving, Reducing the amount of packaging that they use or reducing non-recyclable elements that they're making their product out of. Things like that are important, but also expanding consumers' idea of what sustainability encompasses to include social justice, environmental justice, you know, things outside of like traditional. Just the profit. Yeah, exactly. And then. The growth of profit. In that way, the consumerism can be part of the solution, right? Because the consumer has the power and the the company has to do whatever the consumer says because that leads to more profit growth. So if the consumer cares more about the environment, then that will naturally uh, lead companies to be more conscientious. Yeah, uh, it's really the consumers that create economic value. And when consumers spend their money on something, they're essentially voting with their money for what they want to support. When consumers value something, it creates the demand, and the more demand you create for more sustainable products, the more companies are going to step up and fill that need. That's why I keep buying egg sandwiches, because I value them. (laughs) (laughs) Are those sustainable? Probably not. Uh, Let's talk about life cycle assessment of a product. So you told me that usually a product is either worse for human health, biodiversity loss, water use, or greenhouse gas emissions. And there's rarely a product that's better across the board. Yeah. So what's the 
solution. The, I mean, the real solution is to stop buying stuff. But, I mean, that's not a solution for the economy. Yeah, you um, want me to weave these headphones? I can't weave shit. What do you want me to do? <laughs> I got to buy stuff. I eat. I don't um, have a farm. It's It's sort of a matter of which variables are important to you and which ones are most crucial for the environment that you're in. So, like, if you live in California, make your decisions based on which one uses water most effectively. Right. Mm, right. If, if they focus on water there, I think in New York we should focus on getting more taxi drivers to wear deodorant. Can we yeah. work on that here? Because <laughs> it's rough. The taxi drivers now are, like, really wild west. Like, they're just crazy. They don't even, like, turn the meter on. They're like, can you do cash? Yeah, they keep refusing me all the time. It sounds like really? India. Yeah, they're always like, where are you going? No, no, I'm not going that way. Oh, that's yeah. That's not even legal. I know. That's what I yeah. say to them. I'm like, you know that's illegal. And they're like, whatever, man. <laughs> Get out of here. They say that. When I went to Pratt, when I was in college in Brooklyn, they were like, yeah, I'm not going there. Exactly. I it's, think we should talk a little bit more about life cycle assessment. There's like a lot. Mm-hmm. We can Let's do talk it. Talk about like there is no life cycle assessment done when people make products. You know, when you design a product, you're supposed to. The first goal of the product that is designed should be what happens when it's thrown away. You know, everything else should follow next, you know, especially in a world of climate change. Like, I don't know one product that comes to my mind that I can throw away and it'll be like, okay, I feel good about it. You know, mm-hmm. it's fine. It, it served its purpose. The closest thing I can think of is, and like they are not being thrown away yet. So I can't really like, say it with a like with a stamp of approval the only product i can think of that might reach 90 percent closed loop system is the tesla car anything else i can't what even like surprise he backed the fucking tesla again <laughs> tages stop a bigger point here though is you still can't achieve 100 percent sustainability not with our current technology or at least our current mindset you know we need to change our mindset to like go above and beyond 95% efficiency. But there's something even even worse than transportation, right? You had a thing about this. Like, it was more about diet, right, Allegra? It's food. Oh, for sure. Yeah, Yeah. food is What's that thing with the lesbians and the Prius or whatever? (laughs) Sorry, (laughs) what is it again? I don't know. That must be a dream you had. That was not (laughs) what I told you. Hold on a second. (laughs) Downloading that dream. Got it. (laughs) Save that for later. Um, Yeah, what was that thing about? Uh, vegans. Oh. You're thinking of vegans. <laughs> vegans and Priuses. Uh, we're yeah. sorry. Lesbians, we love you. Oh, yeah. I Thank mean, they you could, for listening. There's, you know, who's to say what, yeah. you know, how those Their sexuality are isn't important. We don't know that they're not both. I don't know if it's a thing. Are, like, lesbians going to save the planet? You're looking at me? Like I don't that? know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know the answer to that question. No, but shoot but, me that yeah, thing sure. about the uh, the Prius. We didn't talk about yeah, that before. Yeah. How does that go yeah, again? Yeah. Two vegans carpooling in a Prius have a lower environmental impact than one person on a paleo diet riding a bike that same distance. Even though the bike is so much better for Even the Even though earth. the bike is not, yeah, not using yeah. any There's fossil There's no fuels exhaust. Except in yeah. the production of the tires or whatever, yeah. Right. Because the right. vegan versus the paleo guy, they're yep, that much better for the Yeah, the diet earth. is that much more important. One person on a paleo diet who bikes to work has a bigger imprint than two vegans who drive a Prius to work. But who has a bigger superiority imprint? 
the vegans, right? Ooh, that's a good mm. question. They're going to be... Although paleo, paleo people are always talking shit, but vegans... Yeah, because that paleo guy probably also does CrossFit. Like, Ugh. yeah, exactly. And he's into biking. He probably got that fold-up bike and he'll yeah, never shut exactly. up about the fucking thing. <laughs> <laughs> I hate these people already, but at least they're saving the earth. It's deeply offensive to a lot of people in the West, especially in America, to think that they're doing something wrong by eating meat because uh, it's it's just everywhere. It's like you go to a restaurant, like most of the things are going to have meat in it because that's just culturally like part of our diet. So I was really shocked to find that out. Yeah, I actually read about a study that they did about like the cultural reasons that prevent people from stopping or reducing the amount of beef that they eat. And yeah. It's almost entirely cultural. In a lot of cultures around the world, being able to afford meat for like guests or special events or whatever, like that's a sign of status. And it's like success. Uh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like when when you can provide beef for your family or for your your in-laws when they visit or whatever. And it's not it's not just about like I have to have meat every day. It's like sometimes it's a special occasion, but they can't they don't you know, they're not going to reduce the amount of beef that they're eating because it's like a, a cultural special event. Yeah. Yeah. We can't shake it. We can't shake it. Whereas in India, it's like if you have the biggest chickpea or something, like you're on top. (laughs) It's actually very true what Allegra said in India too. You know, in India, people who like serve meat, meat is super expensive in India. So people who like can afford meat and eat meat are considered like well, way well off. It's very, very cultural for sure. Meat should be expensive everywhere. I mean, you want to talk yeah. about life cycle assessment? Like, yeah. meat is not priced for its entire life cycle. It's, pr- no. priced, it's priced for the direct resources that are put into it, mm. right? It's not including processing the waste that comes out of, you know, the cows are raised. It's not. Yeah, like it, it, it completely messes up the water in, yeah, it in the area. It doesn't include yeah. cleaning up the ecosystem that they're putting all these pesticides in to grow the grain grow the feed. that the yeah that the cows are yeah, eating yeah. it doesn't include the health care costs for all the people that are getting sick from the pollution like there are so many and, and these are in sustainability terms these are called externalities which are basically mm-hmm. unpriced costs man i right. think that's so great i think i'm getting this life cycle assessment thing now for real it's like what if it costs as much as it costs to like clean up after these motherfucking cows yeah, right. and stuff it exactly. would make a lot more sense exactly yeah, yeah, and the, yeah, the cost is always there. It's just how do you want to pay it? Do exactly. you want to pay it? How do you price it? Exactly. And that's where, you know, buying things that cost more in dollars creates more value for those products because you're supporting, yeah. you know, like if you buy something that's organic cotton versus like regular cotton, for example, you're supporting the value of those farmers that like have those more sustainable practices. Paying the cost in dollars instead of in poison and in social yeah. injustice and stuff yeah, like and, that. Yeah, and and this is like you asked me before about, you know, a, a product rating, like a metric rating system. And I think it's so important for people to know what the externalities are that they're not paying for. And, like, it's definitely a privilege to be able to pay for, you know, more in money, in dollars, for a slightly better product. Like, I understand that that is a privilege and that's a whole separate issue that, like, you can have your own podcast just about that. But especially when it comes to food, what I always tell people is, like, if you have the ability to exercise that privilege, buy the 5 or $6 dozen eggs. Don't buy the $2 eggs if you have the ability. Do you think that could be a solution to the life cycle assessment issue where, like, every every product has 
some kind of problem with it. But if people knew the externalities, if they knew the actual cost, the real cost. Yeah, like if you, put, yeah. if you put a video outside McDonald's on how those Chick-fil-A's or, sorry, what am I saying? Uh, those <laughs> chicken nuggets are made. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I promise you the, their business would drop 95%. They're like, welcome you to know? McDonald's. Here's how we make nuggets. First, we grab the chickens by the throat and twist <laughs> them around a few times. Yeah. I mean, they scream and scream. It's mechanized. Everybody's <laughs> seen that video, right, of like the pink slime or whatever. Yeah. But like yeah. people still eat that shit. Like it's so gross. It's but disgusting. that's not that's not even enough for people to to stop eating it. They don't care what it looks like. But if you like go to a, like a farm and you like see a chicken and then you eat that chicken for dinner, like you're gonna think twice about it. Mm -hmm. You might still eat yep. it, you know. But like, yeah, you, you'll reconsider. Yeah. But at least so. you looked into its eyes first. Talk to me about the tragedy of the commons. What is that, and how can we avoid it? Tragedy of the commons is this idea that people instinctively act selfishly so the i mean the reason it's called that if you think of you know a common field there was a limit on the number of livestock that every farmer could bring to the field every day to maintain the the quality of the grass and like to make sure there was enough grass for everybody's like sheep or cows or whatever to eat if you get one person who's like oh i'm just gonna bring like one extra one then the other people, all the other farmers are like, well, if he gets to bring an extra one, then I'm going to bring an extra one. And like, maybe I'll bring more than one extra one, you know? Nobody, like buying the toilet paper in, in COVID, like people buying fucking truckloads yeah. of toilet paper. Because other people were buying they, Yeah, exactly. They see other people doing it and they're like, they don't, so the, the mentality is like, they don't want to be the sucker, right? Like nobody wants to be the one who's like doing the right thing and then gets screwed over because of yeah. it. The thing is that even when people know that that's happening and they know that they themselves are doing it, they still do it. Mm. And that's the tragedy of the commons is that people will not stop this race to the bottom until the resource is completely depleted and then you end up with nothing. Yeah, would the sheep yeah, yeah. be selfish without the human? Like, would the sheep be like... No, sheep wouldn't be fine. They'd be better trust without sheep. Be Have we talked about this yet? I do not trust sheep. Let's get away from this topic. I'm going to blow my top again. <laughs> oh, well, you, now I'm interested. Imagine, Michael, Remember that imagine. fucking goat that's... That was a goat. Like, that was a goat, Michael. Don't cross... They have the same eyes. That sounds racist to me. Man, that is Spe racist. Specious. You don't, <laughs> like spe you don't like sheep just because they look like goats. That's true. It's the eyes. <laughs> <laughs> But for real, everybody, go to Reddit and check out r slash oddly terrifying and look up the fucking video of the goat walking on its hind legs into a shed. It's going to be the scariest thing you've ever seen. We mentioned it last episode. We're mentioning it this episode. This is your final warning. Go look at that goat and get educated. I'm so scared I'm starting to love it. I'm starting to fall in love with it. Yeah, me too. Starting to become I think a that's kink. called Stockholm Syndrome. Yeah, yeah that's it. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That goat's got me. He's Ben's got a lot of kinks. Him. Well, let's get away from that. Goat kinks. <laughs> unkink the conversation let's talk about biomimicry yeah. yes my favorite yeah. topic mm -hmm. it's really cool it's everybody's favorite topic T tell, tell tell me what it is biomimicry is awesome it's basically people engineering things and materials and products and systems after the way nature does it and it applies to instead so of the way the monopoly man does it that dude yeah. with the, yeah, the like capitalism. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The capitalism guy. Um, yeah, I mean, it's 
it's the the thing that's really interesting to me about biomimicry is that it applies to so many different scales and so many different topics. You can look at anything and nature will have designed a better solution. And yeah. like, the answers are all around us and we just need to see them. Like we're not paying enough attention. Yeah, it's like that yeah. spider is pulling something out of its ass that's stronger than our strongest stuff. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Like imagine like a lab that ran for like billions of years and just ran experiments and was mm. like, okay, now we have finally figured this one out. You know, that's exactly what it is. It's anything from like they they are creating architectural materials based on the surface, the microscopic surface of a lotus leaf that naturally water beads up on it and it essentially picks up dirt and carries the, the rain, like carries the dirt away so that the leaf can photosynthesize more efficiently because it's clean. And they're modeling the surface of building materials based on that so that they don't have to be cleaned. You know, it saves it saves resources that way. It's just naturally self-cleaning windows and buildings and things. Cool. And then it's also anything up to, you know, they model uh, or they engineer the shape of the fronts of bullet trains after kingfishers. And kingfishers are, if anyone doesn't know, they're birds that dive in the water and they're super, super efficient in the way they move through yeah. the water. And, you know, it just makes so much sense to like take a train that's going to move super fast and model it after something that nature has already tested for the best solution to that. But biomimicry They're already is... on Kingfisher 10,005.0 or whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> two billion update. years or whatever. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and They're but... not getting slower with the fucking updates. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <no>. exactly. <laughs> But it's also the other side of it is like systems, the way systems work, you know, like ants going out and reporting back where they found food and then like the other ants go and like follow and the ones that are reinforcing the signals of like where like they're like, yeah, the most food is this way. And then that's like those signals will become strengthened naturally over time. And like that's that's a flow of information, right? Like that's a, a way for information to be transferred through a network and yeah like, it's a neural network yeah instead yeah, exactly. of like a linear network you want to live in a society and systems engineering should be designed based on a neural network There's one more biomimicry thing that i came across uh from all the information allegra shared with us so most of our paint is extremely toxic there is lead in our paints in a lot of paints there is a way around it you can use optical illusion, microscopic structures designed on the surface of whatever you're building in such a way that they reflect light. Okay, so so this so this would be material that would reflect back the color of choice instead of painting with exactly. toxic chemicals. Yeah, you right? you explained it much better than I did. Yes. That's yes, a really that cool exactly idea. How, a peacock actually has the same material all over its body. It's just how it like how changes it the, it? how it changes its feathers is Whoa. how that color reflects out. You know, that's so cool. we can just biomimic that. You know, so cars don't need to be painted. You could just have that specific structure on it, and it would look blue or white. You or could just explode a bunch of peacocks onto the car, and then it would be <laughs> whatever color. <laughs> yeah, and but I then you got to build the peacock gun. And <laughs> <laughs> did you guys ever hear about this person trying to take a peacock on a plane? Yeah, uh, yes. I did. As an emotional support peacock. <laughs> yeah, peacocks are like the loudest birds, dude. It's yeah. such a terrible idea. Well, that's what that woman needed—a loud animal so she could relax <laughs> on the plane. I need a bird screeching into my ears so I can. Call Calm down on this terrifying flight. His aggressiveness is soothing. I need to bring a flightless bird onto this airplane so I can calm down. Um, 
We were talking about lithium batteries and how they are actually sustainable. Like we have enough lithium. Once the batteries become efficient enough, that uh, it's it's going to be a sustainable source of energy for us. Now, what about the household batteries? How bad are they? Tejas, correct me if I'm wrong. Cobalt is in most household batteries, right? Yeah. Cobalt is very often mined in Africa, like in the DRC in, in the Congo, by children who are forced to work in more horrible conditions than you could ever possibly imagine. This is like four and five-year-old kids, at least. That's their life. That's their whole life is... And then I go and buy a pack of four AA batteries yep. for like then, five bucks or whatever. Yep. And people don't know... At, I mean, talk about externalities. Like, that's real such cost. a big one. Yeah. People really need to think twice before buying something with a battery in it. And especially before disposing of their batteries. That doesn't make where it's sourced from any better. If we can help sort of close the loop on some of those resources, it can make it that much so less. I, that shit leaks into your soil. That is heavy metal and extraordinarily toxic compounds going into your soil. And like, God forbid, if a plant grows on there, that shit is now in like your ecosystem. Yeah, bring them to an e-waste facility that's or an event that's equipped to dispose of not just batteries too, but like paint or medication. Like, don't flush your old medication. It's it's horrible. Like, never, never do that. I would, I never let a pill go to it's waste, like, baby. It's no. like snort <laughs> it, stick it up your butt, whatever you gotta do. It's like do not throw it you away. know, cracking open a battery and flushing the inside of that. Like, you wouldn't do that. I actually you know, found an e. I found an e waste finder by country. If you go to e stewards.org, you can find a place to throw away all your e waste. Wherever it's you awesome. live on Earth. E-stewards.org. <laughs> They're going to sponsor this podcast. Yeah, what right. you can do is to purchase products with batteries from companies mm. that are ensuring the source of right. know, how their products are made. Love that. Yeah, Love yeah. that. That's like the voting with your wallet thing, yep, right? Exactly. It's like spend money yeah. on yep. shit that works, that isn't destroying and melting the earth. Yeah. Uh, educating yourself is one of the easiest and most fundamentally important things you can do if you want to improve your yeah. environmental impact. Greg Norris teaches the life cycle assessment class at the Harvard Extension School. He came up with this this concept of so everybody has their footprint, right? We've all heard of like your environmental footprint. He came up with like, well, what is the opposite of a footprint? It's a handprint. So anytime you make a positive decision about your environmental choices or encourage someone else to make a positive change, that's your handprint. So if everybody could live in a way where their handprint equaled their footprint, we'd be breaking even. If you do something good, like if you cut out meat one day a week, that like celebrate that small victory and mm. then take it from there. You know, take it one step at a time. Like people need to do the changes that they can do, but they also need to continually be sort of like pushing themselves for the next the next victory. Yeah. Well, can we can we come up with some more stuff besides like e-waste centers that we can all sort of do day to day? Like you said, maybe yeah. What are some What are some things everyday people can do? Well, one thing people can do is to read the ingredient labels on things that they buy and buy things with fewer ingredients, fewer chemicals. And if you're buying something with palm oil in it, if it has palm oil as an ingredient and it doesn't have the RSPO certified sustainable label, don't buy it. One of the biggest things is stop eating red meat and pork and or at least cut down on it if not cut it out entirely but you know for like the average person like buy the eggs that are a little more expensive because you know they're from 
somewhere that is, you know, you can trace where those eggs came from. And that goes back to the growth concept of like the growth economy of like, we always need to be making more profit. You don't make more profit by getting things that were humanely raised, but you do grow in another way. You become more responsible. You become more respectful and maybe more fulfilled. Have the personal power to be able to look unflinchingly at where your food and energy and waste comes from and goes to. At the end of the day, the earth doesn't need us. We need it. So mm-hmm. if we're not doing this for our own benefit, then like, what are we even Man, doing? I've had so many girlfriends say that to me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't need you. You need me. <laughs> Damn it. It happened again with the earth. Yeah. Allegra, thank you so much for sharing your passion and expertise. Allegra also assembled a team of colleagues to pool research for our last two episodes, including Peter McLaughlin and Katie McDonough, our previous guests. It was amazing to have all three of your minds working on this. So Allegra, Katie, and Peter, thank you for living generously and sharing this information with our listeners. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Anytime. You You made us seem smart for a couple episodes, so thanks. (laughs) Happy to help. (laughs) (laughs) They just, I always pick the worst fucking hikes. Okay, guys, this is the place. This is where you got those commandments from episode one? Wait, where Greta Thunberg laid that Yoshi egg? Yeah, I'm pretty sure this is it. Oh, yeah, there's some egg goo over there. But wait, how, how is this going to help us understand sustainability? So, so, you, so you seek to understand sustainability. Holy shit, it's David Attenborough. I'm old, but I move like the wind. Hold for effect. Sustainability. The avoidance of the depletion of natural resources in order to maintain an ecological balance. The alternative to sustainability is the end of existence, as we know it. Can you give us an example, dude? Uh, sorry, Mr. Attenborough? I'd be happy to give you an example, young man. And please, call me D-Money. It's like when you're on your last roll of toilet paper. Sure, you can use Kleenex after that, but what about when you run out of Kleenex? Then you have to take a shower every time you poop. Hmm. Or ordering Domino's. I see someone's got Domino's belly. Is he talking about me? Sure, to be okay for a while, but then your super will come along and say, somebody in your apartment's got a problem with Domino's. And you'll feel great shame. I order Domino's all the time. Why do you think you have that muffin top? What are you, mid-40s? Or? I'm 35. Sure, 35. I I misspoke. Last example, because I'm fading a bit. Imagine you're on Jeff Bezos' penis ship. You mean rocket ship? Yeah, sure. Looks a little like a rocket, but much more like a... Have you seen the Amazon logo? The curve is... Anyway, you're on the ship, and there's a limited supply of oxygen. And when it runs out, you will die. So you must calculate it carefully. It is not sustainable. The earth is not so different. There's a limited supply of everything. And when it runs out, we're all. He faded away. Yeah, even his advice was unsustainable. Hmm. Do I really have a muffin top? Yes. Wow, Davey Attenborough. Great to meet it's him. David. He, it's David. <laughs> yeah, he's he, he really uplifts me. Anyone else got other good news from this world we live in, this terrible world? P-powered energy cells. 
What's more sustainable than that? <laughs> yeah, I heard a, a quote from Teddy Ro I mean, I didn't hear it. He didn't say it to me, but <laughs> Teddy Roosevelt, our youngest president, once said, civilized people ought to know how to dispose of the sewage in some other way than putting it into the drinking water. So this could be a way for us to pee in our cars and make drives. You're bumming me out. I want to drink the pee and not know about it. <laughs> Can you do a Teddy Roosevelt impression? No, I can't. Good, good. Then we, we you know, is uh, he the guy who always it, said bully? Yeah, bully on that. He's a rough rider. Yeah. <laughs> He's a rough rider, okay? That's a fucking cool nickname. I'm yeah. surprised Putin didn't take that name. Me too. He's got great PR. Get on it, guy. Putin. Uh, what else? We got PE-powered energy. Uh, what other good news? Oh, Colgate. Colgate has this $500 million sustainability bond. Now, Colgate says that they're being sustainable. They have the first vegan toothpaste. They have the first recyclable toothpaste tube. And they committed to sourcing 100% of their electricity from renewable sources by 2030. So... Colgate, if you read too much into the sustainability bond, it's really confusing, and it sounds like it was created by a money robot, but, you know, maybe it's good news. Tejas, your thoughts? Bullshit. <laughs> Complete <laughs> hot shit. First of all, a company that is so massive, like Colgate, giving out $500 million in sustainability bond is some kind of hot shit I've never heard in my life before. Uh, <laughs> They don't have anything sustainable. And anybody who says I'm committing to 100% renewable energy, you should run away immediately from that company in the other direction. There is no such thing as commitment. You either do it or you don't, you know. Mm. Uh, you'd fucking do it and then we'll fucking believe you. They're like, in don't 10 years, we're going to really get on this. Yeah, oh, yeah, we'll see in 10 years, yeah. <laughs> They've been saying that forever, man. Yeah, you know? It's like when you go yeah. back and see your high school friend who's addicted to drugs and he's like, yeah, I've been doing a lot better, man. I've been really... <laughs> doing really good I'm, i feel I'm, like in 2030 i'll be clean <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> i got a piece of good news that i directly was a part of nice i didn't know it at the time because i only study the ballot 15 minutes before i go to the poll but on the last ballot on november 2nd there was proposal two which was that new yorkers wanted to have the right to a healthy environment i voted yes on it and new york overwhelmingly approved proposal two and now in new york we will have a right to a healthy environment whatever that means it's it's a good step in the right direction yeah. for sure also ecosexuals they believe having sex with the earth can save it there's this bathhouse uh where they say it's a no holds barred extravaganza meant to dissolve the barriers between species as we descend into oblivion Whoa. So That's if you, uh, you know, touch yourself under a waterfall or roll around in potting soil as you make love, there also have these ceremonies where people can get married to the moon and the earth. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> so if you're married to the earth, then people shit on it. They're shitting all over your husband or your wife. So, and yeah. that's why we're all fucked because <laughs> people want to fuck the earth. <laughs> that's our episode that's our episode special thanks to our guest Allegra D'Angelo as well as Katie McDonough and Peter McLaughlin for helping us research if you have any questions or thoughts about what we covered today please don't hesitate to reach out you can email us directly on waafpodcast at gmail.com or message us on Instagram at waafpodcast we'd love to hear from you we, we really, really would we, yeah, really we would. would really actually we would. be the first fucking sincere thing I've ever said uh, well, and and remember, if you give us a review or a five-star rating, Tejas will come to your house and bear you a son. He's a seahorse. This is, this is a promise. I'll bear you two sons. He's got a bunch of eggs parked in that seahorse garage. He's ready to have your boy. 
I'm a hermaphrodite. And he likes it when you tickle that curly little tail end. Yeah, it, it gets all, it rolls around my ankles when I tickle it. Sorry, we'll cut that. <laughs> what the fuck is wrong with you guys? It's like, like Avatar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. I'm Ben Yanetti. I'm Michael Cox. I'm Tejas Toshi. This is our last episode of season one. We've come full circle. See you all in 2022, if the earth makes it.